Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the podcast. I'm David Rothkopf. I'm here in New York City, and I am joined also in New York City by my co-host this time of each week, uh, Ryan Goodman. Well, not New York City, but in the general vicinity of New York. Is that true, Ryan? It's true and accurate. True and accurate. That's what we try to strive for here. We are joined from uh, Michigan by our friend Barb McQuaid, who is a professor at University of Michigan Law School and who was a former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Hi, Barb. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan just 10 days ago and enjoying the fact that you guys got to have restaurants with, you know, table service long before we did. It was real trailblazing. Yeah, you know, our governor's done a good job, I think, of uh, phasing things back in. Yes. No, I sat in the parking lot of Weber's restaurant, and uh, that's where they had all their tables set up. Um, it, was a, it was a real pleasure. And I think in California, we have our friend Harry Littman, who is also a former U.S. attorney, a former deputy assistant attorney general, uh, a columnist, and is the host of the Talking Feds podcast. Are you, are you in California, Harry? I am. Hey, David. Hey, um, Ryan. Uh, um, uh, and so, uh, you know, clearly, having this uh, group of great legal minds, we need to turn our attention to legal developments. There have been plenty this week. Um, and, uh, you know, they're starting to blur together in my mind. Uh, but we had a congressional hearing uh, yesterday, uh, as, as we're taping this, in which um, a number of, of uh, respected folks came forward and said that Bill Barr has his thumb on the scale at the Department of Justice and that he is um, not delivering justice uh, in a fair way, but is in fact uh, bending over backwards to take care of the uh, friends and uh, allies of the President of the United States. Um, how powerful do you think their case was, Barb? Well, I was really disturbed by the allegations that Aaron Zelinsky talked about. Uh, you know, he is a case prosecutor. He had a job similar to one that I had at one time. And so that one really resonates with me. The um, Justice Manual, which governs all prosecutions and which is instilled in prosecutors when they join U.S. attorney's offices says that prosecutors shall not make decisions that are influenced by a person's political associations, activities, or beliefs. Uh, and, and we take that to the bank. We believe that with every fiber of our being. And what he said is that the supervisors in his office uh, and the acting U.S. attorney, uh, the words he used were distorted, 
obscured and watered down the conduct of Roger Stone to reach a different uh, and, and more lenient sentencing recommendation. And, you know, there are things when you're working in a prosecutor's office where there can be reasonable differences of opinion. You might uh, have a spirited discussion where someone advocates that a guideline does or doesn't apply in the gray areas. But in this instance, there were very clear cases of things that should apply. Uh, for example, one of the guideline provisions that applied here was an eight-level enhancement for Roger Stone for uh, threat of bodily injury to Randy Credico, who was one of the witnesses that was testifying, uh, was asked to testify in the case. And the Justice Department overruled uh, that recommendation, changed the recommendation that was filed with the court to say, this really only apply, doesn't apply to first-time offenders and really only applies to people involved in organized crime. That's just not consistent with the position they take in other cases. And so to see that kind of blatant distortion, obscuring, and watering down of the facts, and when he was then told the reason for it was because of Roger Stone's relationship with the president, uh, really flies in the face of those fundamental principles of avoiding partisan politics and, and allowing that to influence the work. And so to me, they have violated the rule of law. They have violated the rule that says no person is above the law. Uh, and it is a very dark day for the Justice Department if that is what William Barr is allowing to occur under his watch. Well, it certainly seems to be what he's allowing to occur, Harry. Other testimonies supported that yesterday. What was your reaction? Yeah, well, I would also lead with Zelensky as Barb does. The, we'll get to the antitrust in a bit, and even to Don Eyre, who was a higher level of generality. But if you're trying to sort of, you know, catalog levels of sins uh, that an attorney general uh, could commit, you know, leaning on prosecutors to go easy because someone is a friend of the president, it's hard to to state a more serious derogation of the, the rule of law. So it really comes down to was Zelensky telling it true? He's very well respected. You know, you, you have to, in, in some sense, think of the, the person who's bringing the account. Now, Barr's going to testify next month, and Zelensky never spoke directly to him, but he heard it repeatedly through the chain of supervisors. He asked to talk to the acting U.S. attorney, and he was turned down. So, And, and he, it was reported to him exactly as Barb says. This is why the, you could say the thumb on the scale. It's more, more like the 10-pound you know, weight on the scale. Um, and that's com really completely indefensible. That's, that's the, the, the sort of thing that, you know, if there's a hell for um, uh, DOJ prosecutors, you go to the last circle. Now, um, what Elias had to say was a little bit bizarre. Um, he said that Barr tried to um, distort and exploit the antitrust power to go after marijuana companies because he doesn't like marijuana. It's a different kind of sin, and attorney generals, say, can set priorities. That, that in itself is not so out there, but you can't uh, use enforcement powers that don't fit just basically to harass. And then Don Ayer, you know, he, he and Barr have been crosswise for a long time, but he's a Republican former deputy attorney general, and he spoke at a higher level of generality, but it definitely dovetailed with what, you know, I'm sure it's the same for Barb. You speak to people in there, they're demoralized, they're disgusted, they're distressed, and uh, there are many ways in their own jobs, but also in the way they represent the United States, 
that this kind of mischief, um, which, which is an understated word, really harms them and their mission. And that's what, what Air kind of spoke to. So, you know, especially Zelensky. If Zelensky, they, they can only say Zelensky has it wrong because if he has it right, it's a completely indefensible. So, Ryan, um, I, I'm interested in your reaction to it as well. We've been talking about this kind of thing for months and months and months. Um, and I'm not sure whether um, my own outrage was at the substance of what they were saying or my growing sense that nothing will be done about it. What about you? Um, so I think it's a bit of, it's both, not even a bit of both. I think it's both. And just to zero in on some of the substance, I also agree that what Aaron Zelensky testified to is um, the worst one could imagine. And that has to be in the one side of the spectrum, the top end of the scale. And just to put a couple things in perspective that I thought were new in his testimony that we didn't already kind of have a sense of from the stone sentencing itself and what happened. Uh, so what we already had a sense of, I think a deep sense is that there was indeed this political favoritism that had taken place. And it was because of the president's connection to Roger Stone and that the attorney general weighed in and the, the acting U.S. attorney um, was highly responsible for this um, actions that the career um, prosecutors disagreed with. So a large part of that part of the story was already there. I thought what Zelensky also brought to the foreground were the supervisors. So it wasn't just like Tim Shea and the AG Barr, but a number of supervisors inside the U.S. Attorney's Office who were orchestrating this political pressure on the career prosecutors. And Another element of it was doing so in part because the, US, the acting U.S. attorney was uh, fearful of the president. So just if we try to understand the logic or the psychology of are these people who are true believers and they're going along with the kind of larger mission to um, hollow out parts of the Justice Department for political favors. So it gives you a sense of that dynamic. And then the other part that I'd love to hear uh, Barb and Harry both talk about um, because I see something in there, but they have much more of the expertise and experience to talk about this is when Zelensky refers to the actions that were taken internally, which we now see for the first time, the misrepresentations to the court that uh, were being made or that the political appointees were trying to pressure the career prosecutors to make, I thought that was notable um, in a couple of ways. One, Zelensky refers to the representations of Roger Stone's health as being a reason for a lower sentence in the second submission uh, by the U.S. Attorney's Office. And he hints at the fact that there is no basis for that. So that seems to me as another level here or another data point that indeed you could say that the second submission might have a... Um, false statement, an intentional false statement on the part of the, US, the acting U.S. attorney. And along with that, I thought it was interesting in how qualified um, Zelensky was in some of his claims, because I think he's being very careful. But he was describing the way in which the pressure on the career prosecutors was not to bring the full history of the case to the court's attention and all of these aggravating circumstances. But time, two times, at least, in his written testimony, he said, that it would be, quote, contrary to the department's policy 
that the government must ensure that the relevant facts and sentencing factors are brought to the court's attention fully and accurately. And I wonder if it's more than just department policy. Aren't these, um, in fact, parts of the ethical ethical guardrails for one uh, carrying a bar license, uh, let's say? And, and more than that, if indeed the inaccuracy is really tantamount to a making a false representation to the court. So, Barb, I'd love you to react to what Ryan just said and put it, we can put it in the context, particularly the last point, that this uh, week we saw um, a couple of instances of groups of lawyers saying that he did stray outside the guardrails, both from his legal alma mater at George Washington University and from the New York Bar Association. Yes, what Zelensky argues is that there were misrepresentations made to the court. And as Ryan points out, um, yes, it's, of course, DOJ policy to accurately represent what the facts of a case are, but it's the duty of every lawyer, the duty of candor to the tribunal to accurately represent the facts. Um, You know, there are kind of two components to sentencing. There is the calculation of the sentencing guidelines so that the court can start Um, from a a position of understanding what this case might look like to every court across the country. Um, But then from there, a lawyer can advocate and a judge can decide to go lower or higher than what the guidelines are. But you're supposed to start from a place where the facts are what they are. You represent the true facts. You do your best to calculate them under the guidelines. Sometimes there is room for argument about whether a guideline does or does not apply. But then the judge makes a finding. I find the guidelines are X, and then the judge has the ability to vary downward or upward from that. But it is, I think, every lawyer's duty, and it is DOJ policy to score the guidelines correctly. That is an objective part of the process. And only then can you begin to advocate as to whether uh, this defendant is entitled to something lower or higher based on aggravating and mitigating facts. But the point you make, Ryan, with regard to health the sentencing guidelines say ordinarily health is not a factor in uh, imposing sentence. It only becomes a factor when there is something um, that is extraordinary that either accounted for the commission of the crime or um, means that the Bureau of Prisons is unable to adequately care for that person. And as Zelensky pointed out, it was just a very vague reference to his health. It didn't specify Uh, what particular health issue there was. I don't know that there is one. I think I have read that he has said he suffers from asthma, Um, but nothing so extraordinary that it would in any way influence, I think, um, a mitigating factor for his commission of the crime or something that the Bureau of Prisons are unable to accommodate. And so it really does just have the feel of, you know, some pretext that they threw in in an effort to curry favor for him really more of an argument you'd expect a defense attorney to make than a prosecutor. So, Harry, to pick up on this, but just to keep the conversation moving along, we saw a couple other examples this week um, of behavior that's related to the substance and the, 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 the nature of the accusations that were made in front of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, one was that um, the D.C. Court of Appeals um, uh, said that the Justice Department should be able to drop its charges and move on away from the Flynn case, uh, even if that seemed quite unusual. Uh, and that decision 
uh, made by um, uh, uh, two re recently Republican appointed judges um, uh, s seemed somewhat political and the dissent was quite strong in that regard. And there was also then at the end of the week, um, Roger Stone saying, hey, I don't want to go to jail just yet. Uh, there are a variety of health related reasons there. And the Justice Department seemed to be going right along with that. So it's not just any one case. It seems to be endemic uh, to all the cases that affect the, the President of the United States. And of course, that goes back to last week and the effort to, as ultimately successful, to remove the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Yeah. So... Um one of the most frustrating aspects of the last few years is this um, minority uh, elected president has, by the skin of his teeth, uh, managed to control the levers of power, save only the uh, House of Representatives since 2018, and to, to exercise that power really uh, ruthlessly and to make it known that that uh, if you don't curry favor with him, you're going to be on uh, the outs. Just one quick thing about Barb, and then then I'll go to these. Two. With with you know, there's a design in the Department of Justice that it's the career people who stand up and say, you know, make make the case for the United States. That's how it works. Sometimes the political people can influence decisions, so it's especially pernicious to you know, reverse engineer a political decision which requires some distortion of the facts and then make the poor career person who has to practice in front of the court year in, year out, actually come and do the fibs. Um, on, the, on the case, yeah, so I, it, it does seem to me it was just the, the panel that happened to be drawn. One was a, a Bush appointee, but the, the author of the opinion was a very young, new, um, and controversial Trump uh, appointee, and it had the feel to me of a you know ambitious kind of audition piece with a lot of even though in in theory it was just a um, textual interpretation of one rule of criminal procedure. She really lathered it up with all this separation of power speak that is um, music to the ears of the the Federalist Society. Uh, and I do think it's a grievously wrong opinion. I think it will not stand if the Court of Appeals decides to take it on bonk. Well, they, they have that power now to, to review. A lot of reasons why you don't necessarily exercise that power, even if someone's gotten it wrong. But if they, if they go that way, my best guess is they will. The opinion won't stand. And yes, Berman, another big black guy that, again, notice, uh, involves duplicity, mendacity, right? That's what happens when you can't tell the real truth about why you're doing things. So that, so it put Barr in the position of asserting falsely, knowing it was false, that Berman had resigned, kind of a brass knuckles move, and Berman, lo and behold, pushed back. But, you know, when you're, when you're acting improperly and you have to represent things to a court or even the press, you wind up uh, stretching the the truth, and it's a casualty of of the kind of politicization that they've brought to the uh, their their public service. So, Ryan, we love to hear your reaction to the the the, the events that took place around uh, the Southern District of New York, and 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 as Harry points out, 
um, that Berman pushed back and uh, the, the, the designated replacement uh, now seems like it is not going to happen. Fellows, the current chairman of the SEC, uh, and uh, Berman's uh, career deputy um, um, uh, is going to take his place, a woman who is fairly well respected. So it looks like he's defended the integrity of the Southern District of New York a bit. But of course, we've now seen, you know, a political act atop SDNY, which has got to have a chilling effect within SDNY. And a bunch of these cases, which have obviously got them worried, are going to come up. And ultimately, the attorney general has the final word in terms of their disposition, no? That's right. So it's um, a remarkable reaching in from DOJ headquarters to the sovereign district, Southern District of New York. They call themselves sovereign district because of their independence. And um, I think we're, you know, supposed to be hearing from uh, Mr. Berman because at least uh, Chairman Nadler of the House Judiciary Committee on the weekend said that he was going to testify um, before their committee. Um, so I suppose we'll hear from him. And it is, you know, remarkable that the story never added up. Um, it never added up that even if uh, the president and A.G. Barr wanted uh, Jay Clayton, the head of the SEC, to step in as the new Senate-confirmed uh, U.S. attorney for the SDNY, why you would have to have Berman step down in the meantime. The ordinary course of events is that Berman would remain in place until and if uh, Clayton were um, confirmed, because there's no guarantee even that he'd be confirmed. So there's something very, very, very fishy about all of this, especially since it's been widely reported that SDNY has a number of cases that directly implicate the president or his associates, including um, an investigation of Rudy Giuliani, including uh, an investigation of the Turkey, uh, Turkish bank, Hulk Bank, which the Bolton book and other reporting says that the president tried to get the attorney general to reach in and stop that investigation as a political favor to the president of Turkey. And who pushed back, but according to the reports, Berman. Um, so we actually know of a clash between Berman, Berman and A.G. Barr. Um, and lo and behold, uh, Berman is removed under these uh, most bizarre uh, circumstances. So, Barb, I, I'd love to get your view on this too, having served as a U.S. attorney. Um, you know, this was one of these Friday night massacres. Try they tried to get it done in the dark of the night as the weekend began, uh, and it and it blew up in their face. Um, but I guess the real question is, did it blow up in their face? Uh, it was ugly, but if Barr shrugs that off and says, well, I'm just not letting this stuff happen. Uh, he's going to achieve his ultimate objective, isn't he? Well, I, I think it did blow up in his face. And I think he was exposed as a liar. I think um, he was counting on Berman going along with a bullying tactic. And it makes me wonder, um, in retrospect, exactly what happened in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, because we saw a similar thing play out there. And I think as it happened in real time, um, we didn't look at it the same way, but it causes me now to reconsider Jesse Liu, the U.S. attorney there, was uh, dangled an opportunity to move over to an, an, an appointment at the Treasury Department. She left. 
Barr installed one of his close aides. It was that close aide who stayed for just a few months. And in the meantime, he dismissed the Flynn case. He, he uh, sought the reduction in sentencing in the Stone case. Um, and, and then he left. And it makes me wonder if um, Berman wasn't sort of getting the same treatment. Of course, the, the punchline for that is once this was all said and done, they then took away the nomination for Jesse Liu. That was just a dangle to get her out of the office. Um, was that the same thing that was going to happen with, with Berman? You know, they kind of offered him up the assistant attorney general for the civil division. Uh, they offered up um, the chairman of the SEC. But they were in ongoing discussions about that, according to William Barr, uh, when he issued his press release. And so um, I think Berman stood up to him and exposed him for what he's doing. He is trying to get people out of the way who don't play ball. It's also been reported that Berman refused to sign on to a letter to the mayor of New York, uh, talking to him about um, keeping things uh, too tightly controlled during COVID, um, and that Berman refused to sign it as something he dismissed as a political stunt. And so that may have prompted uh, Barr's move. And so I think um, Barr doesn't seem to care. Barr seems to have this idea that uh, there is a unitary executive and he's just going to bulldoze in and do what he wants to do. But I think the cumulative effect of all of these things could at some point come up and catch him um, in the same way uh, Alberto Gonzalez ultimately was pressured to resign in the wake of the U.S. attorney filing scandal in 2006-2007. I think at some point uh, there could be sufficient public uh, pressure on William Barr that enough is enough. Um, so I think exposing him for these tactics is, is a useful exercise, and I hope that Congress will pursue these things when he comes to testify. I hope they will subpoena the names that uh, Aaron Zielinski named in the chain of supervision at the U.S. Attorney's Office there uh, so that we can get to the bottom. I hope we hear from, uh, from Jeff Berman about all the things that transpired in his um, departure from the Southern District of New York. Well, one of the things that made the case of Gonzalez different, Harry, um, is that he seemed to have a shred of conscience <laughs> and the president of the United States seemed to have a shred of conscience. And so public pressure seemed to matter. Uh, when talking about this, you know, Barr has already said, well, you know, I'll be dead. My legacy doesn't really matter. Um, I don't and, go for that Homeric view, as he put it, the, the, the son of two professors. Yeah, right. And 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 Trump, of course, is is a man without. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's ever been in the same zip code as a scruple. So, you know, <laughs> you've, you've 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 you know, you've got this kind of a situation and you have a pattern of behavior that goes back right to when Barr took office and lying about the Mueller report, misrepresenting the Mueller report, uh, in all likelihood constraining um, the avenues of investigation associated with the Mueller report, um, uh, supporting the president at every turn, uh, uh, you know, uh, ensuring that the president's close associates get special treatment, as we've just discussed, but there are other, other examples of this. You know, Paul Manafort's out of jail while hundreds of thousands of poor, you know, uh, victims of, uh, of, of, of one sort of circumstance or another remain in jail. Um, we, we could go on. So some people, including, you know, our, 
our friend Asha Rangappa and some other people have said, well, the, the, the remedy is impeach the attorney general because he won't step down. He doesn't seem to care. And he's going to keep doing this and he's going to keep doing it right up until January and whatever mischief he's done, he could do worse. Well, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee said he was against that. And then he said he was for it. And then today his boss, Nancy Pelosi, said she was against it. Um, so it seems like, you know, green light to me to bar. Just go be yourself. Do your worst. If you lose the election, we'll deal with it on January 22nd. What what do you what do you think? You know, I'm not sure there is more. I, I I stand second to no one in my admiration for Asha Rangappa, but it it, it won't happen. It couldn't happen. It'd be it'd be astonishing for an attorney general in any event, though though it's happened once. I think it's probably right that you know uh, now we're many times burned, and so we should be very shy. He, for instance, on Fox TV over the weekend. Uh, started to bang the drums on mail-in ballots. And so we know there's going to be conduct coming from the department that people need to be able to see as voter suppression efforts. I do think he's, I mean, it's true. He's, he's remarkably uh, indifferent to the, the, the views of the, you know, the, the great lib uh, majority who he sees as having, you know, basically gone awry in, in, starting in 1965 or so. But he's blinked a few times here, David, right? First, he's agreed after not showing up twice for completely specious reasons. He's agreed to testify next month, and I think he probably will. He did blink a little on, on Berman uh, and let, let Strauss come in at the end, although it's under conditions where he has now full power to dump her, as happened in D.C., and I guess if things get extreme enough and and – Trump is threatened enough, he could pull that trigger. He's on a bit of a PR um, offensive, right? And and with different, he's he's today talking to NPR. He did a big, big thing with the New York Times. Those can't be his favorite venues. He must think it's like going into a snake pit. But I think he realizes that, you know, he, if only to, to continue to be an effective uh, Roy Cohn for for Trump, he's he's got to address some of this stuff. So I, I don't I don't see impeachment as a remedy. I don't see big changes in Bill Barr, but I, I you know I do think that there that they, there's some political check here that uh, a mild one that that you can see a reaction from from him, including even tempering some of his conduct. Yeah, I don't know if it's very comforting. To me, it sounds a little bit like saying, you know, the brain-eating amoeba I have is not going to eat my whole brain. <laughs> um, Stick to the hypothalamus. Right? Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, go on, Ryan. Yeah, I was, so on the one hand, on the other hand, on the one hand, um, I disagree uh, with Harry in the, th- in the sense that just with the SDNY office, it is curious that it looked like Barr had backed down because then instead of turning to the U.S. attorney, for New Jersey to step in and uh, also act as the acting uh, U.S. attorney for SDNY, Barr turns to Berman's deputy, uh, Strauss. But there was reporting by Joshua Michael Marshall that it sounded as though Craig Carpenito, the U.S. attorney for New Jersey, was also lied to by Barr in that uh, Barr had told him that Berman was voluntarily stepping down, and that might have broken the deal with Carpenito and Barr, and that Carpenito 
said to his staff that the condition for him accepting this job of also taking over for the SDNY was the understanding that Berman had voluntarily stepped down. So I'm not sure that's one data point. On the other hand, much more in agreement with Harry, I also do think, and, and with Barb in the sense that this blew up in um, Barr's face, I do think the big thing with respect to Barr is his credibility in different parts of the American public going into the election when there's going to be voter suppression, when there might be a contestation over the idea that the results are, uh, you know, were fraudulent. When going into October, there's an October surprise coming out of the Durham investigation that Barr is already starting to, you know, beat the drums on that in his Fox News interview over the weekend, speaking about an open investigation. And I think his credibility is lowered hopefully, I would think, significantly within these different, within more parts of the American community. He was, by Berman, completely exposed, as Barb said. And then just to dovetail once back to the testimony that we heard yesterday on Wednesday, John Elias from the Antitrust Division of the Justice Department was showing two other ways in which this is Barr's politicizing the Justice Department has infected a whole other area that I would think the business community would be alarmed about. These are the kinds of scandals that will be talked about and um, in antitrust law classes for the next 10 years, um, these two cases that Elias presented. And I think the business community can also understand with corruption in some spaces like Roger Stone, then can lead to corruption in other places like the antitrust division, which is usually much more independent than that. So, Barb, just to pick up in, in, in with what Ryan was doing there, we now probably have Barr in the position he's in through late January. Uh, he seems to have a lot of runway and leeway to do what he wants to do, and he has a president who wants him to do his worst. Um, what do you worry about? What do, what do you worry that this Department of Justice, this Attorney General, are likely to do with the green light that they have from the, you know, uh, President and the Senate and the D.C. Court of Appeals and even Nancy Pelosi saying we're not impeaching? To worry about his ongoing effort to rewrite history. Uh, about what happened with Russian interference in the election and turning the tables on the investigators. And he hinted in that uh, interview this weekend, uh, he's surprised the American public isn't more concerned about uh, the conduct of the investigators. And I think between now and November, he's got just enough time to unveil whatever it is he and John Durham have been working on. Um, the way that he has spun, for example, the Michael Flynn case in that motion to dismiss just bears no resemblance to reality. And yet he has managed to convince uh, a segment of the American public that that was treason by uh, members of the FBI and, and DOJ. And so I, I worry about uh, what other allegations he may uh, have up his sleeve that may become public in the next few months. And I think he could portray people um, in a very negative light. Uh, you know, when you think about what he did with Robert Mueller's report, uh, Robert Mueller himself wrote a letter saying that he had misled the American public about his conclusions. Um, all of those things make me fear the worst about William Barr. Um, 
I don't know that he loves Donald Trump, but I think he does love the idea of a unitary executive. And I think if you look at his speeches to both the Federalist Society and at Notre Dame Law School, uh, it shows someone who has a very strong agenda about what he thinks should be um, uh, the legal policies of the United States. And I think he is here to get them done. So I, I worry very much uh, about his efforts to rewrite history. And as he has said, history is written by the winners. Yeah. With, with a smirk. That was remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, remarkable and, and disturbing. You know, yeah. uh, listening to you, to, to you Barb, uh, and I'll, I'll direct this to Harry just to keep it going around, but I, it's, it's really striking to me that we live at a moment in the year 2020 when there is one large segment of the United States population advocating on behalf of the Confederacy uh, and venerating Confederate leaders, um, and you have Bill Barr advocating on behalf of George III, and <laughs> and 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 you know, <laughs> sort of resurgent. He's a misunderstood guy, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a sort of resurgent monarchists who are yeah. essentially, you know, I mean, because that's what you know, that's where this unitary executive leads. If you take a unitary executive, and then you assert the unitary executive is above the law, the only thing you're missing is a crown. So, okay. You know, what yeah. worries you, um, Harry? I mean, that worries me. But what, what yeah. Worries? So, so what Mark says, yeah. It, so, look, it, specific election things worry me greatly because I can't think of a bigger nightmare than, than somehow Trump's uh, winning reelection and, and the last few years have being endorsed. So, to the extent, and it'll be partial, that the election has to do with a referendum on what he's did the last few years. As Barb says, if he's able to distort and revise history, that's a problem. It's also a problem, an ongoing problem that will have to be fixed, and it'll take a lot of hard work and years. The because part and parcel of the um, the the Trump mythology is the um, the deep state, uh, you know, fanciful idea about the Department of Justice and the and the real um, inculcation in a lot of people of the belief that what Barb and anyone who's been there will say are, you know, are basically honorable public servants are in fact uh, completely distorted. But the main thing, uh, so that's a big part. The main thing I'm really worried about, uh, and he told us flat out on Fox, uh, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, he, he said, mail-in voting, it's a recipe for terrible fraud, you know, based on what? All the data say otherwise. I think based on Bill Barr's view. And I think he's going to set the uh, enforcement apparatus of the Department of Justice against the, um, uh, pro, you know, the, the expansion or maybe even the maintenance of, uh, in, um, of mail-in voting, which is so key to reducing the problems of minority access to the polls, so key to being able to vote in a safe way with, with COVID. So that I'm, I'm very much worried about a broadside uh, on, you know, in courts and in the public about, ma about mail-in voting. That's my main concrete worry. Okay, we got three minutes left. I've got a one-minute question for each of you. Right. Uh, in the first episode of this week, we looked at the summer ahead because this is the first week of summer. Uh, and I'd like to get a sense of what you think the big legal headlines are going to be coming out of the summer. We've got the Supreme Court with, I think, 13 or 14 decisions left to go next week. 
uh, which include, you know, the president's uh, finances and some other things that are rather weighty. You, you may have Barr in the middle of or towards the end of July testifying before the Congress, although he's really good at taking long, slow drinks from his bottle of water <laughs> and not answering questions. Uh, just a minute each. Ryan, what, 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 what do you think when we look back on the summer, the big legal headlines are going to be? I suppose the big legal headline might be um, missed opportunities in Congress. Um, I thought, uh, to be honest, that yesterday's hearing was a missed opportunity. And it worries me um, that what would otherwise be a big highlight is the final confrontation with Barr is going to go well. Um, I just don't think that the hearing was run as effectively as it could have been. And so I think Barr is very, very strong in those moments. And unless the members are highly prepared um, in a way to deal with the ways in which he engages in deceit, uh, I think that's going to be, unfortunately, a negative headline. Agree. Barb? I am really um, keen to see the Supreme Court opinion on the subpoena cases. Um, I think it, the, the one um, that strikes me as the strongest is the one involving the Manhattan uh, DA's uh, subpoena to get uh, Trump's financial records from his accountant. Um, I think it, it will make important law, for one, just in terms of separation of powers. Um, but I also think that that is the one that is the potential key to charging P President Trump with a crime. Um, it's a state prosecution. Um, and so there is uh, not this DOJ, Office of Legal Counsel, opinion that says a sitting president cannot be indicted. So they could go ahead and charge him if they wanted to. Uh, but the, the, the first step is getting those records. Um, and I, I feel optimistic that of all those cases, that's the one that is the strongest for disclosure. So I eagerly anticipate that, that opinion, which I think will be coming out very soon. Okay, you made me feel a little better than, than Ryan did. Um, <laughs> Harry, here's your chance. Yeah, I'm not going to help. Uh, so, you know, I hope that's the, that, that's the lead, but I fear two others. One is the fizzling out of the uh, race legislation, uh, the police uh, brutality and other legislation into not much of anything. And the other, the real one I worry about is the, is a, some development in the so-called Durham investigation. Like what? Like, well, how about charges against uh, Jim Comey? Okay. You're right. You didn't help. Um, uh, but I, th I think it's a reasonable thing to be on the, on the watch for because I think, you know, everything that leads to this conversation is a breakdown within the justice system of the United States to a level that none of us thought we would see it. It's not that it's completely unprecedented. We've, we've seen this before, perhaps um, mm -hmm. in the presidency of Woodrow Wilson. Um, uh, there, there are a couple of other uh, examples, but it's bad, and um, it's it seems quite likely to get worse. Fortunately for us, uh, the key to determining how to react is understanding what's going on, and the key to that is having folks like uh, those that have joined us here today. So, uh, on behalf of our listeners, I want to thank uh, Barb McQuaid and Harry Littman, and of course, I want to thank Ryan. Uh, we've got lots of interesting uh, things ahead. Go to the dsrnetwork.com to uh, 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 see what is scheduled. Uh, there's a lot of bonus things scheduled ahead for the summer. Or go there and purchase your Deep State Radio 
mask, which is uh, both uh, uh, hygienic and uh, uh, sends a good message to the world, or uh, become a member. Uh, help support us do uh, great programming like this with uh, folks like these. So thanks, everybody, and uh, stay healthy. <laughs>